0: Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you on this day. We ask that you would fill and anoint with your spirit, that you would open your word to us as we open our hearts to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's a joy um, to be here today. Um, I always enjoy coming because it's like I'm, I'm coming home. We are going to be again in John chapter 14. So uh, we have Philip saying this to Jesus, Lord, show us a Father and that'll be enough for us. I want to put that in a little bit of context so we see where his statement is coming from. This is the night that Jesus was arrested. They've already done the Last Supper. Judas has taken the bread. John says, as soon as he took the bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus said, what you're going to do, go do it quickly. And so he departs, he leaves to go betray him. And then Jesus says to the others, listen, I'm going to go away, you're not going to be able to find me. You're not going to be able to follow. And Peter says, no, I will follow wherever you go. And, and, and Jesus says, no, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So yes, I am going away, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you and, and I'm going to come back and bring you there. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says these words we know, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes a father except through me. If you really knew me, then you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, Lord, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. Now, he's speaking out of some confusion because you know that what is happening and everything that Jesus is saying does not make sense to them they don't understand so there's certainly this confusion like i don't know what you're saying just show us the father that'll be enough but it also is this place of we think we know what we need just show us the father and that will be enough but actually what we see as the story plays out as we read through the book of acts it actually is not enough we often think that we know what we need and, and i don't know about you but i'm pretty quick to tell jesus what that is <laughs> Just uh, make me happy and safe and that is enough for us. Just restore my family and that is enough. Just give me a great marriage. Just, just um, give me a, a sense of purpose and fulfillment in what I'm doing, just bring your healing and that is enough for us. Now these things aren't bad, right? They're, they're not bad at all, but we think we know what we need and we think we know what is enough. And sometimes that's arrogance. Sometimes it's just just a desperate longing for something. Sometimes it's actually this, this desire to remain in control. We think we know, but we do not know. And on this day, as we remember, as we celebrate, as we invite the work of Pentecost into our lives in this day, this is the time we surrender all the things that we think this is enough. Just do this for me, and this is enough and receive what Jesus says we actually need. So we have Philip making this statement and and then Jesus basically says, Weren't you listening? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he has these words, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Jesus is speaking about this intimate union He has with the Father, that, that He is in the Father and the Father is in Him. And this is foundational to everything that Jesus says and everything that Jesus does. He says, I am not speaking my own words into my own authority. This is the Father in me doing His work. Which you find in, in John chapter 5 and verse 19 where Jesus says, the Son does nothing of Himself. Only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. There is this picture of this union, this this Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Him, and that shapes and defines everything. Then a little bit later, uh, in this section that, that follows this, we read the first part of where Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. He is speaking about what will happen when He rises from the dead. He's saying, you will not see Me, but there is a day that you actually will see Me again because I live. And then he says these words in verse 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So this is is that place of saying this, this intimate union that the Father and the Son have. We will be drawn into that. This is actually speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And on that day of the resurrection, what we find is that actually we are drawn into that union that Jesus has with his Father. This is the work of the Holy Spirit uniting us to Christ, where our sins are forgiven, where we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings, where our identity is changed from sin and shame to righteousness and honor, where our purpose is changed from self-protection and self-promotion to self-sacrifice and serving. Where our way of life is changed from grasping that question of what can I get and how do I keep what I've gotten to that place of actually generosity. Realizing life is not about me getting, I've got something I have to offer, there's something I need to give. That place of the work of God uniting us to Jesus where our destiny is changed, from hell and death to life and to glory. When we are rescued, right, when we are then united to Jesus, brought into Him, these things are true. This is what He has accomplished for us. These things are objectively true, but we don't always experience them as true. We don't always walk around feeling like, I am a son or daughter of the King of Kings, so you better watch out because I'm coming, right? We don't always feel like we are the beloved children of God. We don't always feel or experience it. We are actually defined by righteousness and honor. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to experience and live more fully into these truths when the world, the flesh, and the devil are accusing us, condemning us, shaming us, and diminishing us. So you find uh, through the New Testament, there are pieces of this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, speaking about the Spirit says, um, And hope does not disappoint us, because the love of God is poured abundantly into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the love of God overflowing into our hearts, dispelling the lie that we are not loved and we never will be loved, dispelling the lie that we are not enough or we're too much. You find also in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 that says the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Right? Speaking against the lie that we are orphans, that we are abandoned, saying no, no, you belong. You are a child of God. Or what you find in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? We are not bound, we are not trapped, we are not stuck which you find in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3:17, and we with face faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, what you can say is actually, we are not defined by sin or shame. We are actually defined by glory, as we reflect the glory of Jesus, and it's an ever-increasing glory. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, to move these truths deeper into our lives. To take what is objectively true, what has been accomplished for us, when the work of the cross is applied into our lives, to make it experientially true, right? That subjectively true, that we know and we experience it more fully. This is actually why we worship. We worship in a response to what has been done for us, and the fullness, of what has been done for us. We worship knowing that the good work He's begun in us, He will bring to completion. That, that what He has started, He will finish. We, we do this knowing that when we have been united to Jesus, that can't be undone. Maybe another way to say it is the tea has been brewed. Right? You can't separate it anymore. What God has joined together, no one can tear asunder. See, our worship is in a response to what God has done for us. We don't worship in order to get God to pay attention to us. We don't worship in order to make Him feel good about Himself, to please Him. We worship Him because He already has paid attention to us. That that He already is pleased with us. That our singing songs of worship are simply a response to what we see in Zephaniah 3.17. That He sings songs of rejoicing over us. Right, our worship is always in a response to what He has done. See, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to work this truth deeper into our lives, that we would know more fully what Jesus has done for us and who He has made us to be. This is foundational. This is necessary. This we need daily until we step into the new creation. This is not a one and done. Every day we need the power of the Holy Spirit to work these truths deeper into our lives. Absolutely, desperately needed. But if we say, Holy Spirit, work these truths deeper into my life, that is enough for us. We have missed Pentecost. We have missed what we are working for in this day. We have missed the work of God in this day. So you look in in John chapter 20 on the day of the resurrection. Jesus appears in that evening to the disciples and he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is going back to the picture that you have in Genesis chapter 2 where the Lord God took the dust of the earth, formed into it and breathed into it life. And then what happens? We rebel. And now instead of being marked by life, his life, we are now marked by death. And so it takes a, another creative work of God when we are rescued. That breathing into us is breathing the life of the risen Jesus into us. This is that picture of coming to faith in the risen Lord Jesus. That instead of being marked by death, now the Holy Spirit has brought us alive in Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You cannot believe apart from the Holy Spirit doing this work in you. This is is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. It's actually what you see on that evening of the resurrection in John 20 is what Jesus is talking about in John 14, the verse we read when he's talking about he will come, he will be alive again, and we will also be alive. He said the Holy Spirit is with you and he will be in you. Right, there is this movement of the Holy Spirit that brings us to life, applies the work of the cross into our lives. And yet Pentecost still came. It is not that that is enough for us. So you still have in verse 8, Jesus saying in Acts chapter 1, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then we read what we heard today. We see the Holy Spirit poured out on those who had gathered in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so you have then the people who had gathered in Jerusalem uh, for that worship. They hear things in their own languages. right? This is actually that beginning of them being a witness to the, to the nations, because the nations are there. right? This is, this is God's missionary heart on display. In verse 11 it says, The people are all amazed that we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Do you hear the echoes of what we heard in John chapter 14, uh, where Jesus says that that I will do what you ask so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. The Father glorified in the Son, and here they are declaring the wonders of God. That's that picture, right? The Father is being glorified in the Son. This is being empowered to be witnesses in the nations, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we see the first fruits of them being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, because they are all gathered here, they're all gathered in. But we also see the first fruits of what Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 12, that you will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. This is what Pentecost is about. This is about us doing greater things. This is about not settling for, if you just do this for me, God, that will be enough that we would be His witnesses, that we would tell the wonders of God, that the, the, the Father would be glorified in the Son through us. It's what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says that God was reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus Christ, and He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That actually is what has been given to us. That this is actually what we are empowered to do. This is what we are actually called to do. The way to say this is, we worship a risen king. And we are to be about the work of the kingdom. That there is a creative and redemptive work that we are to be about. That the gospel is meant to be on full display through us. That there is no facet of creation that is beyond His kingdom agenda, that is beyond His need for restoration, that is beyond the restoration that can come through us in this world. Right, That we are to be those who are empowered by God the Holy Spirit to bring light in the darkness. That we create beauty where there is corruption. That we take what is empty and we fill it with life and with flourishing. That we are those who bring order where there is chaos. That we are those who, who actually we bring justice where there is injustice. That we shower with mercy instead of condemnation. That we are those who pursue prodigal sons and daughters that they would come home. That is the creative and redemptive work that we are called to. This is what we are empowered by the Holy Spirit for. I'll read to you again a key verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Some of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, sorry, I got that wrong. The 12 apostles were filled. Oh no, wait a minute. Those who went to seminary were filled. ALL OF THEM WERE FILLED WITH THE HOLY SPIRIT, ALL OF THEM. WE KNOW FROM THE PREVIOUS CHAPTER THAT THAT IS AT LEAST 120 PEOPLE. ALL OF THEM WERE FILLED WITH THE HOLY SPIRIT. THIS IS AN ECHO OF WHAT ONE OF OUR our OTHER READINGS TODAY um, IS in, IN 1 CORINTHIANS CHAPTER 12 AND VERSE 7 WHERE IT SAYS, NOW TO EACH ONE A MANIFESTATION OF THE SPIRIT IS GIVEN FOR THE COMMON GOOD. To each one, to every son or daughter of the King of Kings. It's not just that we randomly receive some kind of power, right? That there is actually a focus to this, a manifestation of the Spirit, a manifestation. And we see as we read through that this is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, an empowering and a gifting of the Holy Spirit. And He is the source, right? So it's a manifestation of the Spirit, not a manifestation of your own intellect. Right, a manifestation of the Spirit to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There is nobody whose gifting is less important. There is nobody who is extraneous to this work of restoration. There is a divine purpose that each one of us is drenched with. Don't live as if God is stuck with you. Like, like you're the last one in elementary school picked for the kickball team. Maybe that's my trauma, not yours, right? But, but, but sometimes we live that way, right? As if, as if God is somehow stuck with us instead of understanding that we are drenched with divine purpose. And we see that, that this is given for the restoration of all things, right? This given for the common good is given for the restoration of all things. It's not given for our own uh, self-importance or self-promotion. That we would be witnesses. That we would be His ambassadors. That God's goodness and love and gospel would be made known in every corner of the earth through us who inhabit every corner of the earth. This is that work of the Holy Spirit. We see also in the reading from 1 Corinthians 12, in verses 4 through 6, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes the gifts. He decides who gets what. I just want to make you uh, understand, in case you don't understand this, He does not make mistakes. He's the one who distributes, determines who gets what gift. Jesus is the one who then determines where and how we serve with those gifts. He does not make mistakes. The Father then is the one who brings the fruit forward from that work. And in case you don't know it, He does not make mistakes. We can't live as if somehow God has made a mistake in what He has given me, where He's placed me, and the fruit that is coming from my life. God has gifted you, specifically. If you are a Christian, if you have been rescued by Jesus, there is a beauty and a glory about who you are, and you are part of the work of the restoration of all things, that you are meant to put the gospel on full display in the place where Jesus has put you. And the fruit of that is not up to you. It is not done in your own strength, right? This is God's strength and God's power. He is the one who makes things grow. This is understanding that when we, we come to Pentecost, we see the gifts of the Spirit poured out, that this is not a pressure to perform. This is an invitation into the joy and glory of being about the greater things that Jesus tells us that we will be about, that the Holy Spirit empowers us for. We need the Holy Spirit to root us into who we are, to who God is, and to what He has done for us. Right? That we would know, that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know, I could keep on going, that we know that we are beloved children of God. And it does not depend on us being good enough does not depend on what we do. It depends on what Jesus has done for us. It depends on the work of the cross, Jesus' words, it is finished, being applied into our lives when we are rescued. We need to know that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. That who we are and what we have to offer is good because God is good and His image is reflected in us and He gives good gifts. We need to know these things uh, so that we are not tentative, so we don't live the d- lives of diminishment where we feel that we are not good enough. We need to know these things because the world and the flesh and the devil do not take a day off. There is a relentless pressure uh, attacking uh, who we are and who God is and what He has done for us. This is why we desperately need the Holy Spirit to work these things into our lives, because if we don't know this, then we will live lives marked by diminishment. We will be tentative, feeling like we are never enough, we will never be good enough, and then we have no imagination for being empowered by God the Holy Spirit, for His work of greater things, for this this creative and redemptive work that He wants to do through us. And when we don't have an imagination for who God is and what He has called and created us to do, what He has gifted and empowered us for, we end up craving the affirmation and satisfaction and distraction the world offers. And then we take the gift of faith the expansiveness of grace the the depth of his love and we tend to reduce it to just show us the father and that's enough for us just do this one thing for me and that is enough and our world's become smaller and 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 we we hold on to control in our lives because we define the boundaries and we miss what pentecost is We miss the greater things, the the things that Jesus says that he has for us, that there are even greater things, that, that he has a purpose for each one of us that reveals what Jesus has done for us and who he is in our day where we are. And when we lose an imagination for that truth, then we don't seek the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We don't even ask through the power of the Holy Spirit applied into our lives, uh, through the work of the cross applied into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a restoration of all of who we are. We are brought out of the dominion of darkness. We become the beloved children of God. We become sons and daughters of the King of kings. We are new creations that, that we are crowned with glory and honor. We are those that God delights in and sings over. But also what we see in Pentecost is that through the power of the Holy Spirit there is also a restoration through who we are. First of who we are and then the power of the Holy Spirit to bring a restoration through who we are. That we would be about that creative and redemptive work of restoration. So This is, as we come to confirmation, this is what we are praying for, for those who are going to be confirmed. But I want to say we need to all pray for this for ourselves. We need to all beg and ask for God to empower and, and give us an imagination and, and show us uh, how we can live into this more fully. Confirmation, it's an ordination of the service, uh, of, of, of the people. The confirmation service, it is not about those being confirmed, confirming what they believe about God. This is God confirming what he believes about them. This is uh, the apostolic laying on of hands for the empowering of the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry. That the Holy Spirit would root deeper into them the truth of the restoration of all of who they are. That they would not live lives marked by diminishment. They would not be tentative. That they would be able then to know who they are in Jesus. That it is easy to surrender the things that we hold on to saying, if you just do this for me, that is enough. That's all I need but also that they would be filled and empowered by God, the Holy Spirit for a restoration through who they are that they would be empowered to be witnesses, that they would be empowered to be about his creative and redemptive work, bringing light into the darkness, bringing beauty where there is corruption, taking what is empty, filling it with life and flourishing, bringing order where there is chaos, bringing justice where there is injustice, showering with mercy instead of condemnation, and pursuing prodigal sons and daughters, that they would come home. Let's pray. Father, I ask your forgiveness for all the places where I, where we think that we know exactly what you need, what we need. And if you would just do this, that would be enough. Father, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, empower us to open our hands to let those things go that You would, by Your Spirit, root deeper into us who we are in You, what You have accomplished through us, that we would know the fullness of the restoration of who we are by the work of Jesus applied into our lives by God the Holy Spirit. But Father, we also ask that You would fill and anoint and empower with Your Spirit, that we are bold enough for uh, for a Pentecost today, that there would not just be a restoration of who we are, but that we would see a greater restoration through who we are. That we would see your gospel on full display, that we would see lives transformed. Father, we ask that you would come and do this work in us that we would step more fully into what it means to be your kingdom, be your church in this world that so desperately needs your restoration. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.